Before we get going with this week's show, a word from our friends at BetMakers. Fixed odds betting powered by BetMakers is back and in effect at Monmouth Park, and the early returns are fantastic, with 70% of winners pay more on fixed odds than they are on the tote board. Soon, fixed odds wagering will be available throughout the state of New Jersey. It's an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. The odds you bet are the odds you get. Little tangent here. I'm throwing in my own piece. It was the first experience I had on track at Monmouth this past weekend for the Haskell. If you're down there and you have to be in tune with the odds, make sure that you're not taking a haircut on one side or the other. I mean, it worked out beautifully for me. We'll talk about it all when we go over to the Haskell. But I thought all things considered, it's a no-brainer. If you're down there at Monmouth Park, get down with BetMakers and get into the fixed odds win pool. I think it's a fantastic way to go. And I say win pool. There's place and show wagering as well. Be sure to give it a look. You'll continue to hear more about fixed odds wagering opportunities here on the In The Money Media Network. Now, on to episode 124. What's happening? Welcome to Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, July the 25th. 2022. It's episode 124 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. You can also watch along over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Burner, your show. You will get this episode along with the 123 prior. As always, please rate, review, subscribe if you listen on a podcast feed or if you're over on YouTube. Especially if you're over on YouTube, make sure the bell icon's lit up. That way you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel, including things like Horse Player Happy Hour, things like the Late Show, the Players Podcast, the Early Show, the Players Podcast, all the other things that are offered in the money media. And again, Horse Player Happy Hour Thursdays. Uh, we've been going all Saratoga lately, so stay tuned for that. And then join us from 4 to 5 Eastern. PTF and I, for the most part, we uh, go on there. We chop up a couple of races during the day. We chop up some races the following weekend. Uh, we talk a little bit about the Haskell on last week's Horse Player Happy Hour, and that's what we'll talk about here at the start of this show. It's probably going to be a brief show. We're going to look back at the Haskell and also fold in my updated Breeders' Cup Classic Top 10. I'm one of the folks who votes on the official Breeders' Cup Classic rankings throughout the week. Uh, I should say week in and week out throughout the year. And slight change based on that Haskell result. And more importantly, the fact that it could change dramatically this coming weekend knowing that the Jim Dandy is going to be run at Saratoga and the San Diego will be run out in Southern California at Del Mar. We're going to go from looking back at the Haskell into looking ahead to the Jim Dandy. I have seen a list of five horses as probables, according to Horse Racing Nation, uh, and those are the five that I'm going to operate with. And we'll go through, as we've done for the past few weeks, people really seem to enjoy looking at the past performances and going through the horse-by-horse horse kind of scenario, style, however you want to phrase it. Uh, so we're going to do it again with these horses, and it looks like it's a great race. It's a short race, but it could be a great race with horses like Epicenter and Early Voting and Zandon, just to name three of the five. So uh, that's what this week's show is going to be about. And let's start off looking back at the Haskell, won by Cyberknife. All right, let's begin with my updated Breeders' Cup Classic Top 10 ranking. Now, again, I'm one of the folks that votes on this thing. I believe it comes out every Tuesday. I could be wrong. Uh, but the idea is we go through week by week throughout the entire season, vote on the top 10 for the Breeders' Cup Classic, and see how things change. And, and knowing that it's a moving target, things change just based on results and how horses run or if anybody gets hurt or any of that kind of stuff. 
Uh, so for me, the only real change happened at the bottom, and it was directly as a result of the Haskell. Uh, 1 through 10 for me. Flightline, Country Grammar, Olympiad, American Revolution, Early Voting, Epicenter, Hot Rod Charlie, Life is Good, Charge It, and number 10 is now Cyberknife following his win down on the Jersey Shore on Saturday. Uh, I took Jack Christopher out and put Cyberknife in. I wanted to move Taba in. The problem is I don't think anyone has done anything to merit being dropped. And that's always been a big thing for me, not just with this poll, but you see the NTRA polls or you see you know the coaches poll in college basketball or college football or whatever it may be, that there's such a reactionary move to individual races. And I, I try to keep it as tight as possible. I only want to move horses around if there's serious reason to do so. I don't want to do it just for the, you know, let's let's use next Saturday's race, the Jim Dandy, which we'll talk about more in depth in a moment. If for whatever reason, early voting runs third, but it's a good third, you know, I'm not going to all of a sudden drop him out of the top 10. I'll probably slide him down a spot, maybe two, maybe three, depending on how the whole thing shakes out. Um, if Zandon runs well, maybe he will crack the top 10. But if he does, it's probably going to be at the expense of someone else. So he would need to run extremely well to get inside of the top 10. And I think that goes back to what I've talked about a few weeks ago. The idea that this year's Breeders' Cup Classic could be an absolute showdown. You may have horses on the outside looking in that can't even get into the race. And we haven't had that in how many years? Uh, it's just a quality group of racehorses, top to bottom. I apologize if you can hear the thunder, but it's been downpouring thunder and lightning all day. In my office, there's no air conditioning down here, so it's a bit bit toasty. So you may be able to hear the... The dulcet tones of rain and thunder from New England. Anyway, uh, so that's my top 10. And Cyberknife cracks the top 10 because of that effort... In the Preakness, excuse me, Preakness, Jesus. Um, if you couldn't tell, I'm a little little sleepy from the return trip. Um, from the Haskell, and I, I said it on last week's show, kind of, there's a big boomer, tipping my hand a little bit that I, I thought he had a pretty good chance this past weekend. Talked about it again on Happy Hour, gave the, the rationale why. I never loved the horse early on in the season. I, I didn't think he was beating or running against the best competition. I thought he ran in spots. You know, there, there were some things to knock, especially in a race like the Kentucky Derby. The Matt Wynn, I talked about the figs last week, that the race looked like it was better than what the numbers would suggest because you had three horses come back and improve their buyer speed figure by at least seven points. And I said, if, if you get a seven or an eight point improvement from Cyberknife, with the potential run of the race, if they do go quick, he gets up to a 101 or a 102, he's right there. And sure enough, what does he do? He improves eight points to a 102, and he wins. He got a great ride from Florent and Giroux. Unbelievable ride from Giroux. Saving ground, makes an early move down the backside, establishes some position, able to split, shoots down to the rail, and kicks on. Out kicks Taba, who we'll get to in a second. I thought it was a really professional performance for a horse that continues to show little little funny business as far as the brain is concerned, that he's not quite a completed project yet, and that's why I'm so high on him. I think there's a lot to like about Cyberknife. I tweeted on Monday morning. I'm going through watching tape, and I, I'd said it to a number of people down there in New Jersey, and I think I brought it up on this show in the past. 
the fact that you can tell there's ability there, and he doesn't look like he's the biggest horse in the world, but he's got agility. Go back to that Arkansas Derby. For him to willingly move up into a spot, squeeze through, do some things that other horses may not be comfortable doing, I think that speaks volumes to a horse's potential. Now The, the, the mind needs to catch up. And maybe we're starting to see that. But even in the post-race interview, when I talked to Brad Cox, he said, we're, we're still not there yet. He, he may be getting there, but not quite. I put together, I, I, I sort of mashed up the Arkansas Derby and the Haskell. And I said, they. he reminds me of Authentic, mainly because of the athleticism. And I know Authentic was a horse that did more of his running up on the front than Cyberknife, who it seems like is probably a little bit better with a target rallying from off of it. But more importantly, because he's able to get into holes and go and take advantage, and I'm sure, yes, you can kind of roll your eyes and say, well, didn't didn't Giroux give him the cue down the backside in those two races to make the move? Yes, of course he did. But you need to have the horse to be able to do that sort of thing. If you can take, if you've got, a, if you're a rider and you've got a horse that you can basically put wherever you want. And they can they have the the acceleration and the ability, the nimbleness to get into those spots. That that is that's not a common thing. And that's not something that should just be taken for granted. We see so many horses that yeah, they've got a big big engine, but you can't get them stopped because they don't have the ability to get it going fast enough. You either park them way out in the clear or you take them back and you hope that you end up in some sort of a trip where you can tip out and nobody nobody gets in your way. A horse like Cyberknife, and I think back to Authentic a little bit, has that sort of kind of kind of like a cat where very, very light on their feet. Giroux drops his hands, pushes up a little bit, horse goes, now he's up into a box. Some other horses wouldn't come back to hand. Flo grabs him, he waits, 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 and then that hole opens up down on the inside. The hole may be there. You have to have the horse that's willing and able to kick into the spot and then continue on. So that's when I'm talking about athleticism. That's what I see with Cyberknife. And I, I think it does bode well for him going forward. It sounds like he may be going to the Travers. And if it's not the Travers, the Pennsylvania Derby. Uh, but there's a story on, on the Daily Racing Forum Monday morning suggesting that it, it could very well be the Travers for his next next spot. And I, I don't. I had someone else send me a tweet after suggesting they don't see the 10 furlongs. Uh, based on what? What I don't know. I, I, there's nothing about the race on Saturday that I saw that did not indicate he could or couldn't get 10. And kind of until he doesn't get it, I, I think he can. I, he hasn't given any impression that distance is a problem for him. So, yes, he had a great trip down on the inside. But I think he, he did a lot more than maybe just someone who watches it and goes, oh, well, he saved every inch of ground. Of course he got the job done. Of course Tabor ran a better race because he carried more ground. I don't think it's a... I personally don't agree with that. I think that's a very, um, I think it's a very black and white sort of analysis of trips. To me, there's much more nuance that goes into it. And I think Cyberknife showed a lot more positive than maybe Taba did. Now, I love Taba. I've talked about it. I said his talent is uncommon before the Derby. It's why I picked him. For him to do what he did in those first two starts, horses don't do that. The Derby happened, disaster. Comes back on Saturday in the Haskell, and he finishes second, beaten ahead. By the way, Cyberknife 102 buyer, Taba 101. And then 
you know, you can see some folks talking about ground loss. Well, Taba carried more ground. He clearly ran a better race. This, that, and the other. I don't know if it's a lack of experience. I think Bob Baffert was even quoted in a, a Racing Form article saying that he believed it was inexperience. Maybe it is something that you outgrow. But that was a horse that was not running in behind runners. And then once he got into the clear, he ran essentially the opposite of Cyberknife. And that, maybe if he outgrows that, we're, we're going to be okay. But if you have a horse that is dependent on being in the clear with no kickback in front of him, you kind of limit your potential at that point. So if we think about a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic, and let's just use the 10 here, knowing that there are other big names out there, right? Let's say Tape is number 11, just for argument's sake. With Flightline in there, with Olympiad in there, with Early Voting in there, with Life is Good in there. Let's just stop there, knowing that a few of these other ones, you can even throw their hat in the ring. Is he faster than those other horses early? I'm, I'm going to say no. Pace figs in the Haskell, he went 126, 126, 119, 124, 123. Very similar to his Santa Anita Derby. He is he is a consistently fast horse, but he's not really cranking up the fastball early on. He's Justin Verlander, and I, I know Verlander's got that high top end, but basically from the first inning to the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, he's throwing 98. He's not throwing 102, 101 early, and then slowly tails off. He lives right there, sort of in that range, which is fine, but when you have a flight line who can go much faster than that early on, when you have an Olympiad, who is as fast, if not faster, early on. So now what happens if Taba is in behind horses at Keeneland the first Saturday in November, and he's getting dirt kicked in his face, and now you've got to go the overland route to get out into the clear, and sure, great, then he finishes. The problem is, the horses in front of him, they're probably not stopping. So, I still love Taba. I think the talent is extraordinary, and I'm hopeful some people that pissed all over the argument leading into the Derby can understand what I mean he's still an extreme talent for him to do what he's done in four starts speaks volumes very uncommon but there are things that now we're starting to see with a few more starts by the way the derby he's got dirt kicked in his face he didn't pick his feet up he's got dirt kicked in his face down the backside he's just going up and down he doesn't kick until he gets into the clear uh, that could be a bit problematic, big picture, if we're talking about races like the Breeders' Cup Classic. But the talent is there. And Jack Christopher. Well, and we'll talk about White Barrio in a minute. But with Jack Christopher, it was not a matter of him necessarily getting beat by better horses, I don't think. I think that pedigree finally caught up to him. Specifically the final furlong. I'm not someone who believes... He's purely a one-turn type. I think he's probably the favorite for the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile now, going two turns at Keeneland. If I had to just sort of cook up some sort of a, a, a path from here to there, assuming he stays healthy and sound. The Jerkins going 7-8s at Saratoga. The Kelso, one-turn mile at Belmont. And then Keeneland for the Dirt Mile, two turns. I mean, he's still a fantastic talent. There was no excuse. He just he couldn't see out the distance. And that's not a bad thing. I think many of us had that kind of fear 
taking a very short price on a horse that as brilliant as he's been, boy, that, that pedigree, talked about it on, on happy hour. Bunnings out of a half hour's mare, mm, not screaming nine, not screaming nine, and, and sure enough, with, you know, a furlong to go, he was ahead in front. That final furlong was the difference. He started to feel the effects of it. So um, he will be turned back in distance. I can't imagine they're going to continue on with these sort of races. And um, But that doesn't diminish the horse's ability. He's still extremely talented. He may be the Jackie's warrior of this crop. Where, you know what, you tried him longer. And even still, Jack Christopher, I think, is better suited for two turns than Jackie's warrior. Uh, Jackie's warrior, to me, is a true one-turn horse. Jack Christopher, I think, you know, you can get a two-turn mile. Maybe you can get a, even get a mile in 16th. I think you're probably pushing it, but um, the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, I think Jack Christopher fits in there beautifully with that group. Uh, I will briefly mention Howling Time. Thought he ran well, and he kind of continued to solidify that idea that that Matt win. I would d- just, speaking broadly, but but tick him up, all of them, between 5 and 10 points, I would say. That's 5 conservatively, 10 on the high end. And White Abario. Now, I don't know if something went wrong. But at the same time, and it's the only the only thing I tried to, to explain on last week's show. Those Gulfstream figs, the buyers, were just they're just too high. I had somebody in the comments suggest the opposite and say, well, what if the Ohio Derby is low? And that's actually on par with the Florida races and, you know, I, I respectfully, I, I don't know how you can make that argument now at this point, even if you believe that before. I certainly didn't believe that. But if you did believe that argument before, I think it's hard to argue that now. I, again, I'm not sure what happened here. I just think he's fine. I, I don't think he's a superstar. He likes Gulfstream Park. And even though he likes Gulfstream Park, those races weren't fast. They're probably 10 points too high. He li- He's a low 90 buyer. That's kind of what he is right now. And maybe that'll change at some point. Um, I would probably try to do something different with him. I'd try to turn him back just to see if it works. You know, you can run in the Jerkins at seven-eighths of a mile, and you still have plenty of options going forward beyond that. But right now, he's just hes just not hes not as good as some of the best as far as the three-year-olds are concerned, especially at the classic distances. So now Cyberknife goes on to the Travers or the Pennsylvania Derby. Baffert and Taba. Baffert can't run in New York. I would imagine the Pennsylvania Derby would be his next stop before the Breeders' Cup Classic. That's just a guess. Jack Christopher, my guess, would be the H. Allen Jerkins. Um, one horse that I do think is interesting, if they go to a race like the Travers, depending on the complexion of it. Now, again, we'll talk about the Jim Dandy in a moment because there is some some quality speed in there. But Howling Time, if if he can get out to an uh, a comfortable lead, not not an easy lead, but a lead within himself, um, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of him hanging around to hit the board at a big number in the Travers in a few weeks' time, just because I, I do think he's on the improve. I don't think he's a superstar, but I think he's at his best when he's controlling things as opposed to rallying or trying to rally the way that he did on Saturday. He's not going to win big races doing that. He could play spoiler or upsetter, if he is aggressively ridden and he can get out there and kind of back things down a little bit down the backside in some of these longer distance races. So uh, just something to keep in the back of your mind if you are looking way, way ahead. And again, let's see what happens 
Saturday at Saratoga with the Jim Dandy. But Howling Time, maybe he's one that you can sort of fool around with should they decide to go that route up to Saratoga for a mile and a quarter. Uh, let me know your thoughts overall about this race. And, and I, I talked about it in the intro with the Betmakers promo. I thought Cyberknife would be six to one. He went off at seven. I made him nine to two on my line. So I made sure first thing in the afternoon, get to the track, kind of getting settled in. We've got a little room. I run down, I get down at 10 to one and set it and forget it. That what was that? The old Ron Peel thing? Set it and forget it. Done. I don't have to think twice about it. So I'm watching the tote board, and he was, I think he was as high as nine at one point. I was a little bit surprised, and he took a bit of late money. And he was actually fractionally under eight to one. He was closer to eight to one than he was seven to one. Um, but it, it's a beautiful thing. If you if you are down there at Monmouth, and you have the ability to take advantage of, I'm going to call it a, a, a bad price, do it. You're getting value. You have a better chance at getting value, in my opinion, with fixed odds than you do on the tote board because you you don't have to worry about those late influxes of crazy cash or anything like that. And yes, there are limits to how much you can bet, but and I, I believe it's something like it, it's written in there somewhere. But I I wasn't close to that number, and I only walked out with eleven hundred dollars in my pocket. But point being, you know, you can still make a decent bet. They're gonna take something. They're not gonna take anything crazy. Can't imagine they'll take ten grand, but a couple hundred, few hundred, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to go that high, you probably could. And if you, you know, do it accordingly and, and make sure that you are getting the best as far as the odds are concerned, I think fixed odds. I, I wish it was available everywhere. I really do. And I know, you know, people will throw out their pieces about what they believe about it, but um, I, I just I love the idea of, of fixed odds. And by the way, one last thing about Cyberknife. This is his second consecutive race where it's effectively an upline, where he's getting better as the race goes on. 118, 118, 120, 123, 123, according to Timeform US. Um, I think it bodes well. Again, that does not suggest a horse that's going to have issues going a mile and a quarter, um, but maybe we will find out in a few weeks' time. Let me know your thoughts about Cyberknife, Taba, Jack Christopher, White Abario, Howling Time, anybody. Beneath the Video Player on YouTube. That was the big race for the three-year-olds last weekend. Giant race coming up at Saratoga this weekend based on the five probables listed on Horse Racing Nation. Let's dive into the Jim Dandy. All right, like I said, uh, according to Horse Racing Nation, only a field of five or five probables. We'll find out if there's any late additions to the field for Saturday's Jim Dandy at Saratoga. Mile and an eighth It's the local prep for the Travers. There was a, a stretch of years where the Jim Dandy winner went on to win the Travers. Uh, recently, with the exception of last year with Essential Quality, uh, it hasn't been the strongest in terms of producing winners, but it, it's still a marquee race, and you've got marquee talent. There are only five. Three of them are extremely good. Uh, two of them are solid. We'll need to improve substantially. The only thing I did different this week is... Yeah, I highlighted a few things and went through and actually, you know, gave you some idea of what the fields have come back to do and things like that. But also, and for those of you that have been listening, uh, if you want to take a look at past performances that are marked up with some other things written in, some notes, head on over to the YouTube channel and watch over there. But uh, next to their name, knowing that I haven't seen one of the programs that I use 
for making final calls. Uh, I have included what I would give each horse as far as a value line is concerned, a, a probability of their victory. You run the race 100 times, how many times do they win? And also, just above their name, I wrote in what I used to do when I first started handicapping, when I, I didn't want to just go and kind of use my eye to say, ah, oh, well, are they speed? Are they going to sit? What are they going to do? I would go through and actually designate each horse. Are they a sustained kind of runner, meaning are they a closer? Are they a presser or a sort of mid-pack kind of runner, or are they an early runner, an E? And I've also put in sort of variations where the horses have shown the ability to do a little bit of a few different things, um, and with the first letter being what I think they're more inclined to do. So we'll start with Tawny Port for Brad Cox. Uh, comes out of a victory in the Ohio Derby. As you can see, fast fractions throughout that entire race based on the time form U.S. pace figs. Uh, final number of 118, that's not including the pace scenario, so I don't know what that other number actually is. But all around, a solid effort, not spectacular. As you can see over here, this is what the field so far has come back to do. You've had a few horses come back and win next out, including Classic Causeway, who went out and won the Belmont Derby. He had earned an 88 in the Ohio Derby. He earned an 89 winning the Belmont Derby. The fourth-place finisher... I believe it was Barice, Barice, however you like to pronounce that. He was a next out winner with an 89 buyer after earning an 80 in this spot, five lengths behind the top three. White Abario, we just mentioned, he earned a 90 in this race. He came back to earn a 51 in Saturday's Haskell. I think Tawny Port's a good horse, but he is pace dependent, and even when he got a wicked pace in the Kentucky Derby the first Saturday in May, he was only good enough for seventh. And... You know, maybe that's being unkind, throwing a lot at him in a short amount of time. He ran into Lexington just a few weeks prior. I think this kind of is what he is right now. If you give him some good pace, I think he can come with a run. And there should be an honest pace in the Jim Dandy. But I just think the horses that are in front of him are so far superior talent-wise. To me, Tony Port would be an underneath-only kind of horse. I would not be using him on top in, in picks or anything like that. And as you can see here... I've listed him as a sustained or presser type, leaning more toward the sustained, meaning coming from the back of the pack. Yes, he can be a little bit closer. He's shown it a few times. You know, go back to that Lexington where he's only three lengths off. If we go back to the Ohio Derby, he's only a few off of it. The Jeff Ruby Stakes, he's relatively close. Uh, but in my heart of hearts, he is a closer, I believe. I think he's a horse that likes to make one run and hopes for some pace. I made him a 7% chance to win this race which translates to odds of 13 to 1, assuming this is the field. These are the five. Early voting, the Preakness winner. The field for the Preakness overall, a little bit on the iffy side. You can take a look, creative minister, and understanding that two of these horses came back and ran in the Belmont Stakes. But creative minister earned a 100 in this race, came back and earned an 85. The fourth place finisher was Secret Oath. She earned a 95. She came back to earn an 85, running behind Nest who was spectacular in the coaching club on Saturday. Uh, and then the fifth-place finisher, who earned a 94 in this race, moved on to earn a 91 in the next spot. That was Skippy Longstocking. So, so far, the Preakness is a little, meh, a little iffy. But don't take anything away from this horse, who in four lifetime starts is three for four, only beaten a neck in the wood by Mo Donegal, who went on to win the Belmont Stakes. And... This is the sort of progression. When I talk about, I don't want to see horses jumping up 20 points at a time. I like to see 
steady improvement in that sort of 5 to 10 point range each and every time. And all this horse has done from the maiden score with the 76 buyer jumped up 11 points to an 87 in the withers. Jumped up 9 points to a 96 in the wood. Jumped up 9 more points to a 105 buyer in the Preakness. The time form U.S. figs more or less jive. They had the wood faster than the buyer associates did. The buyer team has the withers faster than the time form team does. So there is some mild discrepancies, but for all intents and purposes, this is just a quality racehorse. And I love, I think the thing that I'm most heartened by is the Preakness win. He willingly sat off of a target. I know it was a day that the racetrack at Pimlico was kind to speed. But if, if that's his running style, very similar to a horse like Olympiad, you're going to work out good trips more often than not. And knowing that you can go to the lead and be just as effective, I, there's a lot to like about early voting. And I know he's always felt sort of like the third stringer in Chad's barn for the three-year-olds behind Jack Christopher and behind Zandon. If he runs well again on Saturday, I don't know that that, that can continue to be the, the vibe. And maybe I'm sort of, you know, Maybe there's not a ton of truth to that, but that's just kind of the vibe that I've always gotten, that Chad's always loved Zandon. Jack Christopher's always been the, the star of the barn. And then there's early voting. Who's good? Well, Jack Christopher's no longer a classic contender. And we'll find out. We'll get to Zandon in a minute. I just, I think the world of this horse, I think early voting is really, really good. Now, is he a proper mile and a quarter horse? I... I don't know if that's his ideal distance. He won the Preakness at a mile and three sixteenths. He got a little bit drifty. I think he is probably a crack mile and an eighth type. That that's his ideal distance. But that doesn't mean he can't get 10. And with the tactical speed that he's got, the ability to adapt to whatever pace scenario is in front of him, or if he is the one setting the pace... Uh, early voting, I think, is the most likely winner of the Jim of the Jim Dandy. I think a big effort there sets him up to be one of, if not the most likely winner, of the Travers, and perhaps continue to build upon his stake to the claim of being the best three-year-old in the land. I give him a thirty-five percent chance of winning, which translates to ninety-five. Uh, excuse me, nine to five odds, roughly thereabouts. There are a couple little tweaks here and there, but nine to five. Epicenter. Give him a 28% chance of victory. That translates to roughly 5 to 2 odds. Uh, he is remarkably consistent. There's there's no two ways around it. You go through his last four graded stakes races, buyers of 98, 102, 100, 102. You take a look at the running style. I think the in a perfect world, you get running styles like this where he can lay down pace figs that are on the moderate side and still have some finish. But he did show... In the Preakness, and the interesting thing about the Preakness is it's all about the dynamic of the race. He ran an even line, 127, 128, 126, 124, 124. But when the pace was much hotter in front of him, it found him seven lengths off of it. So he would have needed to go much quicker early to get up and establish that kind of position. I still maintain the best race he's ever run is the Kentucky Derby. He's He was so unlucky not to win that race. Given the circumstances, given the way he ran at a mile and a quarter, I still believe he's one of the best horses for this crop. 
Now, I, I wonder if on Saturday he is in a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't position. Because if you don't go with early voting, early voting has a rather comfortable lead. It's going to be very difficult to run down. If you are the one tasked with going after early voting, it could potentially soften both of you up and set it up for Zandon or one of the two closers. But Epicenter's tactical ability, I think, in a race like this, he'll he'll always be he'll be in a great spot. Don't get me wrong, but he may be the one. If he wins it, put it this way, he's going to have to go out and earn it, no matter how you chop it up. He's either going to have to go and run down a loose on the lead pace setter, or he's going to have to put that horse away and then hold off the horses coming from off of it. I think Epicenter's a really, really good horse. I really do. I like everything about him. I was a fan of his all throughout the three-year-old campaign, uh, the Triple Crown Trail, excuse me, and I see no reason to believe he won't continue on this path. The only concern would be that we've seen a bit of a plateau. Now, granted, he's plateaued at a fast number. He's consistent. If he's going to be a major player, though, in the, the summer and into the fall, into the Breeders' Cup, he will absolutely need to take a step forward. He will need to move into the mid-100, high-100 buyer range. Is he capable of doing that? I think so, but it is worth worth acknowledging. Those four straight races where he is more or less run the same race. No, stylistically, he's done a couple of things differently, but the numbers are the numbers. The figs are the figs. I'd be curious to see what we get from him on Saturday. Ethereal Road. Well, what is there really to say? I think he's a really nice horse for Wayne Lucas. He's a closer. He would appreciate a big pace in front of him. He got a big pace in front of him in the Ohio Derby, and he didn't kick. This would be my biggest concern with this horse. He's not getting any better. He almost fits the, the epicenter narrative. The problem is he has lengths behind epicenter, which means he is lengths behind early voting, which means he's lengths behind Zandon. And heck, he just got beat on the square by Tawnyport. So, barring some ridiculous run, I just don't see a scenario that Ethereal Road wins this race. He would need the ideal setup. He would need everyone to regress. And he would need to run a career top by, I would say, at least 10 points. I think it'll take 100 to win this. He's just he's just not fast enough right now. Maybe if you get to the Travers, he can pick up a piece, but uh, he's just he's just hard to he's hard to like right now, based on these numbers. I made him fifty to one. I gave him a two percent chance to win this race, and he is a S designation sustained closer. And the last of the five that we'll talk about is the other Chad Brown here, and that is Zandon. Again, Zandon always he felt kind of like the darling as far as the Triple Crown contenders are concerned from the Brown Barn. Um, he ran well in the, in the Kentucky Derby. He, he ran extremely well in the bluegrass at Keeneland. Got an unbelievable ride from Pratt. Got another great ride from Pratt in Louisville. Had everything break his way. Had the pace, the whole nine. And the only thing that I would say is not only did he not win, but he couldn't beat Epicenter, who moved earlier and was closer to the pace. So, yeah, there was a part of me that wonders, okay, well, why did you not go by, A, 
And B, do you really want to go a mile and a quarter? I see this up top, and I know, you know, Upstart was a very, very good horse, but by no means was he a 10 furlong horse. He was 8 to 9. That was his bread and butter. It's probably unfair to say that he can't get a mile and a quarter yet because he's only tried it one time. But he's another one. I do wonder if a mile and an eighth is kind of the sweet spot. Having said that, he has paired up career bests of 98 on the buyer speed figure scale. I think that precedes a forward move. I'm expecting him to move up at least five points because I think he's going to be the one that works out a beautiful, beautiful trip in this spot. For the reason I laid out, early voting, if Epicenter doesn't go at him, well, everybody's screwed. But if Epicenter goes, to keep him honest early, Zandon's sitting third. And and he's waiting, waiting, waiting. And then when the damage is done and they hit the top of the lane, Pratt tips out, makes his move, Zandon kicks on, goes on and wins. With a 103 buyer. I could very easily see that scenario playing out. I think this is a very good horse. I'll be very curious to see what we get from him going longer. Won't affect him on Saturday. Mile on an eighth, I don't have any question about that. Talent-wise, he's extremely good. But as of right now, I'm going with the other Chad. I believe in early voting. I think he's legitimate. What he's accomplished in four lifetime starts, I think we're just scratching the surface of this horse. Zandon, maybe he does look like a million dollars, and he's a very talented horse. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to sit here and say that he's a bum. But I, I don't know. Is it my imagination? Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Is it my imagination? Does early voting kind of just get like glossed over and he doesn't get the credit he deserves? Forget about being a Preakness winner, but just purely on, if, if all I did was show you those running lines and the figs that were earned, I mean, that, that that's that's as good as anything that you could ask for for a horse in his first four starts as a three-year-old. And by the way, the 105 came in May of his three-year-old year. I could see a scenario where he is a low one-teen kind of horse by the end of the year. And in a perfect scenario... You think about it, that versatility that he's got based on that Preakness effort, he's a player in any race that he runs in. And if he continues to improve, look out. That's very scary. Because he's going to get the jump on the horses that need some sort of a pace set up. He's not pace dependent. He doesn't have to go to the lead. But if for whatever reason there is no pace signed on, he can waltz on the front end and he's got some finish. My pick in here, as of today... Monday afternoon would be early voting. I'm expecting big efforts from the big three. I think Tawny Port and Ethereal Road will both be pace compromised. I think early early voting should run big. If he does not, I'll be disappointed. Zandon should improve. I'm expecting a low 100 buyer from him. If he doesn't do that, I'll be disappointed. Epicenter, at least do what you've been doing. Run a 101, 102, but... I'm being honest, move forward. This is the time. I'm going to separate the, you know, the kids from the adults here pretty quick. And it may only be a five-horse field, but this is where we're going to find out 
Are these horses Breeders' Cup Classic caliber? Or are they just really good three-year-olds? And maybe next year, as four-year-olds, they will be. I have a feeling all three of these could be 2022 Classic contenders. But we'll find out when they run the race. Let me know what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. And that's going to do it for this week's show on Happy Hour this week, Horse Players Happy Hour. We will talk a little bit more about the Jim Dandy. We'll talk about the Bing Crosby. And we'll also talk about the San Diego Handicap, which stunningly looks like it's a massive field of like a ton of quality. I thought we were going to have a lot of horses train up to the Pacific Classic. No, no. It sounds like it's going to be country grammar. It sounds like it's going to be express train. It's going to be mandaloon. It's going to be stiletto boy. It's going to be royal ship. I mean, there's there's an abundance of quality in that field. So we'll touch on that. We'll touch on the Bing Crosby. We'll touch on the Jim Dandy. We'll touch on anything else, anyone who's watching along on Breeders' Cup social channels, on In The Money Media social channels. Uh, that's one of the things that we love the most about Happy Hour is being able to interact with folks that are listening or watching along, whether you're playing in the contest or not. So be sure to get involved there. And if you are curious about the contest, again, the juice, the vig goes to charity. It goes to Thoroughbred Aftercare. Uh, head on over to horseplayers.com. You will find the link over there. It's only 20 bucks to play. And you, there are two BCBC seats up for grabs over throughout the year. So uh, be sure to get involved. Join myself and PTF at 4 o'clock Eastern chop some things up but the contest starts beforehand we'll tweet it out on all of our social channels again thank you to those of you who listen on the podcast feeds thank you to those of you that watch along over on youtube however you take it in thank you we appreciate it questions comments concerns beneath the video player on youtube or on twitter at bernie underscore matt until next monday we come back for episode 125 this has been episode 124 of the matt bernie show best of luck however you play whatever you play and wherever you